1: No time for a chat tonight, so it's straight to Chicago for a visit with reporter Randy Stone, played by Frank Lovejoy, a reporter who covered the night beat for the Chicago Star. And tonight's episode is entitled Mr. and Mrs. Carruthers.
2: NBC presents transcribed Frank Lovejoy in... Night Beat.
3: This is Randy Stone. I cover the night beat for the Chicago Star. Tonight's story began more than a year ago, around 7 a.m. of a cold November. The city room was a wilderness of empty desks. There was a chill in the air. The radiators were knocking, but the heat wasn't coming in. Dawn dribbled down the main aisle like dirty dishwater. My desk lamp shone dismally on a cup of stale coffee and a chocolate donut. One bite missing. I was trying to finish my column and go home, but it was just one of those days. The words wouldn't come. And I just sat there looking at the typewriter keys, hating them one and all from A through shift lock to ditto marks. And the drunk smiled sadly. Oh, nuts. That must be him, all right, Jenny. I
4: suppose so. I pictured a better-looking man.
3: I looked up. The old guy was as twisted and gnarled as a, an old shillelagh, if you can picture a shillelagh in a seedy mail order suit. The old gal was dressed in shapeless black crepe, looked like something left over from a rather unsuccessful funeral. Um, yeah.
4: You go right on with your chores, Mister Cruthers. Now just stand around and gawk.
3: <laughs> yeah, you do that.
4: Looks a lot easier than seeding an acre of barley, huh, Mr. Carruthers?
5: Yeah, but watch them fingers go like a bunch of beavers. Oh, beavers. Uh, Ah, look, you are Randy Stone who covers the night beat? Mm Mm-hmm. And you two, I presume, are the Livingstons. The Carruthers. Jenny and S.B. Carruthers of Burroughs Junction, Illinois. Well, I'm pleased to meet you.
4: You know... I bet you we've got every last column you ever wrote, Mr. Stone, pasted in our Chicago scrapbook.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, along with her cup that column.
4: And the writings of that dear Mr. O'Brien
5: before that sweet soul
4: passed on. All you people who write about Chicago. Ah.
5: Uh-huh. And now we're really here ourselves.
4: Oh, it's like a dream come true. Fifty-five years we waited
3: well, it doesn't seem that long, does it? Well, it's been fine seeing you. Now, if you'll excuse me. Yes, sir.
5: Jen and I met at the Columbian Expedition back in 1895. That's why we have such a warm spot in our heart for Chicago. She worked in a cigar factory up in East Chicago. That's what attracted me. <laughs> Had nicotine on her fingers. Figured she must be one of them bad girls you're always hearing about and never lucky enough to meet. Now, Mr. Cruthers, you stop that. Oh! that fair was quite an extravaganza. Uh, of course, you heard about uh, little Egypt, Mr. Stone. Oh, sure. Da, da, sure. Da, 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 oh, no. Da, 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 da you did that this da, minute, Mr. Oh, oh, Crouch. Oh, she had it, Mr. Stone. That little lady had it. <laughs> <laughs> Will you listen to this
4: dried-up old man? If that just doesn't...
3: Uh, uh look. Look, I- I'm sorry, but I- I've got to finish my work. Is there something you wanted? no.
5: Well, uh, not exactly, that is.
3: Not exactly. Uh Uh-huh.
5: We come off the train at 5.07 this morning and walked around a piece. All seems too strange, though. You know, the only place still standing is the hotel where Jen and I spent our honeymoon. But what a ruin that is today. And you registered there? No, no. uh, uh, That's it. That's what we want to talk to you about. Uh, Where's your luggage? Didn't bring any with us.
3: Oh, I see.
5: I know Jenny's pretty hungry and tired now
4: you're the ones hungry and tired, well,
5: but I just couldn't go into any place and well
3: I... oh yeah sure i I understand only the flattery about the column and the just folks talk that that wasn't necessary uh here Are this five spot help?
5: Stand up. Huh? Stand up or I'll smash you right where you are V.J. Carruthers, you stop that You tell him to stand up All the blood's rushing to
4: your head and that vein is standing out Now you turn right around and start walking for those stairs What is this? Mr. Carruthers, you hear me? I
5: just want him to be... Start walking Oh,
4: I'll be right with you We didn't come here to beg, Mr. Stone You coming, Jen? Be right with you, Mr. Joe Lewis
3: Well, it's not begging if you're hungry
4: We came here to see you, well, because even if you never knew us, we have been reading about you for so long, we felt like you were an old friend. We just came by to... Come
3: on, Jim. Yes. All right. Now, Now, wait a minute. Oh, now, look. Stop. Will you stop? You just leave us alone. Now, Mr. Carruthers. Uh... Look, I, I'm tired and I'm irritable. I'm having trouble with my story.
5: Uh, Jen and me, we never took a dime. We didn't work hard for it. I'm sorry. Mr.
4: Carruthers' pride. It's the talk of the whole county.
3: Yeah, I can see it would be. Only when you mention not eating and, and having no luggage... Hey, hey look in this person of mine.
5: Now, stop that. I want him to look into it. Does this look like we need your $5? 2000 in traveler's checks is oh. all...
4: Now, Mr. Carruthers, I don't like that. Not one tiny bit.
5: Well, I want to show him.
4: That's just plain boasting. I just won't stand
5: for it. But, Jim... You just he...
4: better also tell him that it's the last red cent we have in the whole world, plus all the money from next year's crop advanced by the bank, plus $500 from a second mortgage on the property.
3: Still don't need his $5. Oh, I told you, I'm sorry. Well, all right, then. Now, what are you going to do with all that money?
4: We're going to make... A dream come true.
3: A dream?
5: We only had about $12 between us when we got married.
4: Less than five, you
5: boaster. Well, whatever it be. Let me tell him, will you? Well, just keep the facts straight. Ever since then, we always dreamed of coming back in style. If it couldn't be with the red carpet and all the trimmings. Well, you and... just
4: listen to that man.
5: Now, it's true, and you know it. How many hours we spent just talking about what we do. Well... Only every time we got a few dollars ahead, well, something happened.
4: Yes, if it wasn't the floods, it was the drought. and if it wasn't a dust storm. It was
5: another baby on the way. Mr. Cruthers. Well, now we decided we're going to make that dream come true no matter what. Only we're a couple of old hayseeds, and we need help. You know, right clothes, the right hotel, the right restaurants.
3: And, uh, and and you want my advice?
5: We did, until you got so generous with five dollars. We still do, Mr. Stone.
3: Well, I'd be very happy to help you.
5: Well, thank you. Uh, Jen and me, we just got to have the best time of our whole lives.
3: His voice had suddenly changed, and somehow the city room seemed to have grown much colder. I turned quickly to look at him. In the dim light, I saw something in those faded eyes that sent a trembling running through me. And then I looked again, and whatever I'd seen in the eyes wasn't there anymore. I decided that I was just tired imagining things, and I let it go at that. They were a couple of sweet old characters, and I was going to do right by them. I poured enough coffee down my throat to push the cobwebs away, and then we started out on the town. First stop, of course, was an exclusive dress shop for stylish matrons on Michigan Boulevard. That's where all the lovely mannequins come equipped with soft gray wigs, and the indirect lighting and the specially designed mirrors were more than kind.
5: Well, what do you think of this dress, Mr. Carruthers? Same as I thought of the others. Makes you look too old. Oh! Haven't they got something that shows a little of the foreleg? Foreleg is what
3: horses have. Yeah, on a woman, the uh, word is calf. Well,
5: whatever it is, I want to see it. (laughs) So you just tell a young lady to bring out something
6: else.
5: Break it to me gently. How do I look?
4: Real nice, Mr. (laughs) Gruthers.
5: I feel like a fish. Uh, Let me peek in this mirror.
4: He always does look so fine in blue, Mr. Stone. He just does wonders for his eyes.
6: Yeah.
4: Well, it's a mighty fine hotel, and I'm glad that Mr. Crothers is registering. But...
3: Yeah, I know how you feel. $38 a day, it makes me a little weak in the knees.
4: No, it's not that. I want us to have the very best of everything. It's not that at all. It's... It's just...
3: Well Yeah.
4: Oh, well, we're country people, Mr. Stone. I don't know how to say it.
3: Well, say what?
4: I've been married to Mr. Crothers for fifty-three years. And in all that time we've never slept apart. And I don't intend that we should start now. What? I've heard about these big city hotels with their twin beds.
3: <laughs> You got nothing to worry about, honey. Not in the bridal suite. Well, after that, I gave Mr. Carruthers my telephone number should he need me, and then I staggered home for a couple hours of sleep. I was dead tired, but I wouldn't have traded this day for anything in the world. But then, just as I was about to doze off, all the warmth suddenly left me again, and... Again, I heard what should have been just a nice bit of dialogue from a sweet old guy.
5: Jen and me, we just got to have the best time of our whole lives.
3: And for a moment, all the sleep was gone. I sat up, and when I tried to light a cigarette, my fingers trembled. And I didn't know why. During the next weeks I got frequent calls from the Carruthers. They were having the time of their lives. They insisted I have at least one dinner with them, uh, their treat. We ate at the pump room where the prices can give you indigestion, but never, never the food. And then I could see that I wasn't the only one who'd fallen under the spell of Mr. and Mrs. Carruthers of Burroughs Junction, Illinois. The waiters, the busboys, the maitre d', the people at the other tables, It was love at first sight. And the evening ended in the great schmaltzy tradition with Mr. and Mrs. Carruthers dancing by themselves on the small floor. And when the dance was over, everybody was clapping and touching their napkins to their eyes. Then the farmer and his wife came back to the table hand in hand. (laughs) Oh, my. Where's the man out? (laughs) It's hot in here.
4: you better sit down before you fall over, Mr. Gruthers.
5: Oh, kid, I could dance you into the floor.
4: Kid? He's getting scintified fast huh, Mr. Stone.
5: Yes, he sure is, kid. Sure, could dance you into the floor every night of the week and (laughs) twice on the Fourth of July.
4: (laughs) Well, there's not going to be any more dancing. This is our last night. Oh? Money's all gone. Oh, but what a time
3: we've had. Got
5: a lot more respect for money if it can bring us a month like this, eh, Jim?
4: Oh, isn't it the
3: truth? (laughs) We ought to drink a final toast, then. Ah, just about enough left. All right. You've got the floor, Mr. Carruthers.
5: Oh, all right. Well, I can't think of anything real clever. Uh, Let me see. Oh, I got a toast I learned at a stag when I was a growing boy. Now, Mr. Cruddle... I wasn't going to use it, Jim. No, no, no. Oh, here's my toast. For every moment of our life together, I thank you, my dear.
3: I went on about my work, checked in with the office at midnight as usual, and the girl at the switchboard had a message for me called Central Police Station and asked for Captain Barton. I put in the call, thinking, well, laddie, back to the old routine. Then the captain came on the phone.
5: Just on. We
3: got a torn
7: jacket down here with your name and telephone number scribbled on a slip of paper in one of the pockets.
3: Oh, well, all my jackets are accounted for, Captain. I'm wearing it.
7: Oh, this one belonged to an old fella, around 70.
3: Hmm? Dark blue, good material. Well, that, uh, it sounds like it belongs to Mr. Carruthers. How do you spell that name? Where can I get a hold of him right away? Wait a minute, wait a minute, not so fast. What's up? Letty is up. Your Mr. Carruthers is on his way to commit murder.
2: NBC is bringing you Nightbeat, starring Frank Lovejoy as Randy Stone. Before we begin Act Two of tonight's exciting adventure with Randy Stone, we'd like to pause and salute Station WKBH in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Today, Station WKBH celebrates the completion of 25 years of broadcasting to the residents of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. From the entire staff of Nightbeat... Sincere congratulations to you, WKBH, on your silver anniversary. And now, back to Nightbeat and Randy Stone.
3: Captain Barton sat on the edge of his desk while I examined the jacket. And across from him was a mournful-looking man with a fresh bandage plastered to his forehead. Barton stood up. Well? Yes, it's his. So. What's it all about? How'd he get torn?
8: How did he get torn, he asks. Suppose you tell him, Mr. Hartman. What's to tell? He's strong for an old man like that. Well, he did farm work all his life. I could make a joke and say he sure plowed into me.
7: Big joke. Mr. Hartman operates a pawn shop on Milwaukee Avenue.
3: Well, what was he doing in your pawn shop?
8: He was attracted by a revolver display I had in the window. Revolver display? Uh, Particularly one cold thirty-two, priced $35, worth every penny.
3: He tried to steal the gun?
8: I didn't say that. He wanted to buy it. Okay, but he didn't have a license. So I told him to go down to police department and get a license tomorrow. He said he didn't have the time. It had to be now. It had to be now? I said I was sorry with me. It's strictly legitimate. Then the roof fell in. An old man like that. That sure doesn't sound like the fellow I know. Took the gun and started running for the door. Well, I grabbed him by the sleeve of his jacket here and I, wham. Oh, he smacks the gun into my puss. Well, I hang on to the coat, it splits right down the middle, and he keeps running.
7: Hmm. That isn't the only item on your and Mr. Carruthers tonight, Stone. Uh, what do you mean? This statement here didn't add up until Mr. Hartman came in. You listen to this a telephone report from the Ajax Drug Store, 1947 Wabash Avenue. Ernest J. Gorman, manager. The statement follows. At about 8.40 p.m. tonight, Gorman waited on an elderly man dressed in a dark blue suit. The man told Gorman he wished to purchase some poison. Poison? The man claimed he wanted poison to destroy rats. But Gorman's suspicion were aroused by the man's insistence on knowing the reaction
8: of such poisons on the human body. The old guy's a real doozy. The man offered Gorman a hundred dollars. That's what he offered me, only I turned him down cold. I've been in business since 1900
7: uh, go on, Captain. A hundred dollars for a few capsules of poison. When Gorman refused, the man exclaimed, I won't let her suffer, I'll find some way, and disappeared before Gorman could stop him.
8: Brother, so he doesn't need the poison. He has my $35 gun.
3: Hey, where are you going? Uh, the phone. Operator, get me the Ambassador East Hotel... Fast, please. I don't know the number. It's an emergency. Uh, is that where they're staying? Yes. You better get over there quick.
7: Oh, I'll get on this intercom.
3: Uh, hurry. Have a car out in front right away. will be right Oh, on. hello. Uh, I want to speak oh, to Mister Carruthers, room twelve seventeen. Yes, hurry, please. What's that? When? I see. Okay. Thank you. You can cancel that car, Captain. Huh? Mr. and Mrs. Carruthers checked out of the hotel three hours ago. Left no forwarding address. When I left the police station a little after 2 a.m., I really felt Jim Dandy. I tried to get back to work, but that was a lost cause. Trying to kill his wife, it, it didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense. I recalled the first time I'd seen them, the old guy shooting off his mouth about the Columbian Exposition of 1895, Little Egypt, and how changed everything was. And then I stopped dead in my tracks, that hotel that they'd stayed in back in 1895. I started running for the nearest phone booth. I woke up half a dozen people all over Chicago, local historians, hotel keepers. Finally, a sleepy voice fellow in charge of the Hotel Association of America gave me an answer. Must be
6: the Gulliver House. Gulliver House, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what you must mean. Built for the exposition.
3: Uh, where is it?
8: Uh, let me try and clear my head. Uh, yeah, woke me up out of a sound sleep.
3: Will you please hurry? It's urgent. Uh
8: ninety-third street, um, it was considered very elegant when it was built. Now it's practically a flop house. <laughs>
3: No, there wasn't much left of the Gulliver House's early grandeur. The marble floors were cracked and stained. The oversized chandeliers were filled with cobwebs and burned-out bulbs that nobody bothered to replace. A flock of beat-up leather chairs, an open elevator in the corner like a birdcage waiting for a lost canary. Nobody around but a bearded guy snoozing on a couch. I went to the desk. The night clerk was in an alcove making a pot of coffee on a little gas plate. I banged the bell. I'll be right with you. Uh, an old couple named Carruthers check in here tonight. Carruthers? Uh-huh. Oh, yes,
7: a couple of hours ago. Uh, room 412. Just let me finish measuring out this coffee now. Uh, take your time. i got all night. Hey, hey, where are you going? No, you wait till I call him? Don't you take that elevator. <laughs>
3: The elevator was another relic of the Columbian exposition. And for the sake of the older generation, I only hope little Egypt had just half the vibrations. It seemed to move in all directions except up. Oh, come on, come on. What was I going to find in room 412? I didn't even want to think about it. By then I'd reached the fourth floor. And through the iron grill work, I saw Mr. Carruthers standing in a faded bathrobe and holding a Colt revolver that would have looked much better in the huck shop window. Well,
5: open the door and come on out.
3: What have you done to Jenny? Clerk called up and told me you were on your way. That open door down the hall, that's your room? Stay
5: right where you are, Mr. Stone. Oh, that must be the manager ringing for the elevator. What have you done to your wife? Keep your voice down, folks sleeping. Tell me. My nephew, Martin, that's my sister's boy, he hadn't got out of medical school last June. Uh, well, you know how it is. We wanted to give him a start. Figured it was time for a physical examination anyhow. Oh? Uh-huh. I guess uh, I ain't been to a doctor since maybe 1927 when I tore a ligament in my back. And Jenny, well, almost as long. Anyhow, poor Martin, after he examined us in July, he called me into his office and said he was sorry that he ever become a doctor. Nice boy. sure hated to tell me that Jenny had to die. Die? One of them incurable things. Too late to do anything about it. No pain yet. Another couple of months for that. And then maybe two more months at the most.
3: Oh, I wish he'd stop that. That's when you decided on the trip to Chicago?
5: At least we did have that, huh? Forget everything, but how happy we were. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I I decided that when the trip was over, well, I, I hadn't been able to do very much for Jenny. Maybe I could fix it so she, she wouldn't have to suffer
3: and so you got the gun, huh? Yeah, that's right. Where are
5: you going? Your room. I'm warning you, don't. Don't. You'll wake her up.
3: What? Here's the gun. Take it. It hasn't been fired.
5: Oh, I, I couldn't even do that for her. I sat there and I, I tried, but I, I couldn't even do that. I see. I can't help it, Ty. I'm selfish, I guess. I want every minute that I can have with her. I don't care how or why or anything. I... You better take that elevator down before he has a conniption.
3: Yeah, I guess I better. Uh, Mr. Carruthers. Yes? Nothing. Give Jen my love. Goodbye. Goodbye. More than a year passed. I didn't forget the Carruthers, but I don't know, life keeps piling up in front of you and my memory of them kept being pushed farther and farther into the darkness. But early this evening, all the lights went on again, fast. The paper sent me up to the Capitol at Springfield to cover a political story. I was driving back to Chicago the same day. Around 5 p.m. I saw that I was getting low on gas and I'd better fill up at the next town. And then I was passing the highway sign of the next town. Elevation, nil. Population, even more so. But I forgot all about that when I saw the name of the place. Burroughs Junction. I stopped at the gas station only long enough to look through the thin phone book. And ten minutes later, I was parked in front of a rusty RFD mailbox with the name Carruthers stenciled on the side. The frame house was badly in need of paint. The pickup truck stood in the yard, balanced on blocks, its rear wheel missing. The steps were broken, an empty rocking chair groaned back and forth in the light wind as I crossed the warped porch. I knocked on the door, and after a while, a hall light went on, and someone was coming for the front door. What could I say to him? What could I tell him? And then the door was opened.
4: Mr. Stone. Oh, how nice to see you again.
3: Mrs. Carruthers.
4: Come in. Come on in.
3: For sure. Sure.
4: Well, it's not much like the bridal suite at the Ambassador East now, is it, Mr. Stone? Let me look at you.
3: Oh, you look fine. Well, I feel all right for an old lady. Oh, man, do I feel relieved. I I thought that... Huh? Well, I... Well... A young doctor, I I guess he's entitled to one mistake. Especially this kind, huh?
4: Oh, I see. Mr. Carruthers told you. Yeah. Well, my nephew and I, we played a trick on the mister. Huh? I guess it's hard for you to understand about taking that trip to Chicago. It just grew out of all proportions. I mean, it became... I guess the word is... Obsession. Is that the word? Yeah. Well, as time went on and all our plans for the trip fell through again and again... Well, in Mr. Cruthers' mind, not taking the trip became like a sign of his defeat. You just listen to me talking like one of those uh, psychiatrists <laughs> or whatever they call them.
1: Well, you're,
3: you're talking fine.
4: But for him... It was the one thing that made our life together incomplete, like he'd failed me. Of course, that sure wasn't so. I had the most wonderful life with him, that any woman. But men think different than women about what's important and what's not. Yeah. And if he'd known the real truth, he'd never have taken that trip. All he'd think about was providing for me. He was that way.
3: He sure was. Was.
4: He passed on six months ago. Six months this October. What? Uh, My nephew and I... That was the trick, Mr. Stone. You see, it was... Mr. Carruthers... Who had the sickness...
3: Fellow once wrote, When two people really love each other, there can never be a happy ending. Well, maybe, but but I don't know. I sort of think if he could have seen the look of love in Mrs. Carruthers' eyes as she talked about Mr. And if he could have heard the pride in her voice, maybe he'd have changed his line just a bit. Maybe to make it read When two people really love each other. There can never be an ending. Copy, boy.
2: Night Beat, starring Frank Lovejoy... ...is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's transcribed story was written by Larry Marcus... ...with music by Robert Armbruster. The part of Mrs. Carruthers was played by Jeanette Nolan... Ralph Moody was Mr. Carruthers. Others featured were Ben Wright and Lou Krugman. Don Rickles speaking. Frank Lovejoy can currently be seen starring in Warner Brothers' Force of Arms. Listen next week at this time and every week as Randy Stone searches through the city for the strange stories waiting for him in the darkness.
1: Stay tuned for Robert Young as Jim Anderson in Father Knows Best. Time now for Father Knows Best.
9: Mother, is Maxwell House really the only coffee in the world? Well, your father says so, and your father
10: knows best.
11: Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons, brought to you by Maxwell House, the coffee that's bought and enjoyed by more people than any other brand of coffee at any price. Maxwell House, always good to the last drop. It was Shakespeare who said, life is a crooked game, and you never know when they'll deal you one from the bottom of the deck. This was Joe Shakespeare, of course, who runs the meat market on Franklin Avenue. And it isn't bad for a fellow who never went past the seventh grade. Anyway, it's just short of dinner time in Springfield, and in the white frame house on Maple Street, the Andersons are about to be double-shuffled, double-dealt, and otherwise generally bilked by the fiendish
12: Philip of a fickle fate, like this. Margaret, I'm home.
10: We're in the kitchen, dear. I'll
12: be in as soon as I hang up my coat.
10: There's a message for you next
9: to the telephone.
12: Oh, okay, honey. I see it.
9: Daddy!
12: Hello, sweetheart. How's my best girl?
9: Oh, Daddy, my beautiful Daddy. You're just the most wonderful, most beautiful, most gorgeous Daddy in the whole world. Kathy,
5: you're choking me.
9: (laughs) I'm sorry, Daddy, but Mm. I was so glad to see you.
12: Well, of course. We haven't seen one another since... Way back this morning
9: A whole day And I missed you so How much? How much did I miss you?
12: How much do you need?
9: (laughs) Why, Daddy Well? Fifteen cents (laughs) Why? I lost my pencil sharpener And if I don't buy a new one How can I sharpen my pencils?
12: It won't be easy
9: May I, Daddy, please?
12: Well, let's see. Which week's allowance are you working on now? October 21st. (laughs) October 21st? Uh,
9: 1953.
12: (laughs) All right, suppose I advance you 15 cents against the week of October 28th. How will that be?
9: Oh, that's wonderful, Daddy. You're just the most wonderful Daddy in the whole world.
12: Go on, you just love me for my money
9: Oh, I do not Hi, honey Did you find
10: the
12: message from Bill Whitley? Uh, He got me at the office Hello, Angel Hello, dear
9: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Father
12: Well, what are you doing?
9: Shelling peas Then look at my nails
12: Why don't you help her, Kathy?
9: It's her turn I did it last time She doesn't have to help me
12: Go ahead, Kathy Give your sister a hand And let's not have any arguments about it.
9: Don't you forget, Betty. The next time I have to shell peas, I help you. Well, stop talking and help me.
12: Where's Bud?
10: Probably over with Joe Phillips. He'll be along in time for dinner.
12: You know, Margaret, I was thinking today, we're a pretty lucky family. We have a nice home. It's almost paid for. We're well and happy. We're not rich, but uh, we manage.
10: My, aren't we solemn tonight.
12: Well, I was talking to Bill Whitley today, poor guy.
10: Is anything wrong, dear?
12: Oh, just a bunch of little things. His boy had that operation last March, and he's had a few bad accounts. Now he's worried that he won't be able to meet his insurance payments.
10: That's a shame. They're such
12: nice people.
10: Almost ready with the peas, dear? Just about. Mom,
13: I won. I won. Mom, look what I won. What on earth?
12: Bud, how many times have you been told not to burst into the house like that?
13: I won the prize. Look, I won the prize. I don't care what you... A skunk. Bud! (laughs) Oh, Bud! Get that thing out of here. That is
6: beautiful.
13: I said get it out of here. Bud! Bud, please. Guys... Don't make so much noise. You're getting him all excited. We're getting him excited. (laughs) But if you don't get that thing out of here... Just a moment,
10: Jim. Let's be sensible about it and calm down.
12: Calm down? A skunk in the kitchen, and you want me to calm down? Well, we don't want to get the skunk upset, do we? Oh, no, that's right. No, we mustn't get him upset. Just uh, everybody be calm
13: now. Let's not get him uh, upset.
9: Oh, Mother, make him take it away, please.
13: He won't hurt you, Betty. See? Take him away, Father! Bud, take that thing away from your sister. There isn't anything to worry about, Dad. He's housebroken and everything.
10: Kathy, don't walk around You're stepping on the peas But
9: I want to touch him May I, Bud, please?
13: Okay, but don't scare him
9: Nice boy
13: (laughs) (laughs) See here, Bud You don't have to worry, Dad He's deodorized The man said so What man? The man who ran the raffle you won that thing in a raffle? Wasn't I lucky?
12: <laughs> the things that can happen out of a clear sky.
10: Betty, get down off the table. Nothing's going
12: to hurt you.
9: Tell him to keep it away from me.
12: Thousands and thousands of children, and my son has to win a skunk. <laughs>
9: Look at him, Mommy. Isn't he beautiful?
13: Bug, this is hardly the place to keep a skunk. But he's just like a cat, and lots of people have cats.
12: Why didn't you bring home an elephant? A family like this can always use a nice, congenial elephant.
13: I don't think the man has an elephant.
9: (laughs) Mother, look at his tail. It's twitching.
13: Well, sure, he's happy. Aren't you, boy? (laughs)
12: Lily. His name is Lily.
9: Yep.
13: Isn't he beautiful?
12: Yeah, he's gorgeous. Bud, take that thing outside and get rid of it.
13: Gosh, I I can't, Dan. Why not? I just told you, he's deodorized. That is merely your opinion. And anyway, what difference does that make? The man told me all about it. If you turn a deodorized skunk loose, he's defenseless. He'll get killed.
12: And we'll send flowers to his mother. <laughs> Take him out in the field and and lose him
10: Jim, we can't be heartless about it
12: We can't be brainless either Margaret, don't tell me you want to keep Lily
13: Of course not I do The man said they make wonderful pets and they eat practically nothing
12: Well, that's fine, give him back to the man
13: I can't Why not? His wife says she'll divorce him
6: (laughs) It
9: isn't bad enough having Kathy around now we have to have a skunk. Betty!
6: <laughs> well?
9: Who wants to call on a girl whose brother has a skunk? I do.
13: Lily won't be any trouble, Dad. He can sleep in my room, and I'll pay for his food out of my allowance.
12: But it's not a question of expense or how much room he takes up. We just can't have a skunk around. Nobody in his right mind wants to keep a skunk around. I do. I do. That's what I said. Nobody in his right mind.
10: (laughs) Jim, if we could only find him a good home...
13: Where? With whom? Who wants a skunk? The man said...
9: Father, look at him. His nose is twitching. Isn't he sweet? (laughs) (laughs) But his nose is twitching. Look at it.
12: Betty, that's not the end you have to worry
13: about. (laughs) You don't have to worry about either end, Dad The man said... I don't care what the man said
10: Why don't we call someone who likes skunks?
12: Margaret Who, outside of another skunk, likes
13: skunks?
10: Well, there must be someone I do
13: The man said everybody likes a pet skunk And Lily's one of the finest pet skunks in Springfield
9: May I hold him, Bud?
13: Sure, I guess so. Here.
9: Come on, Lily. boy. <laughs> Jim, where are you
13: going?
12: I'm going to call the zoo. That's where I'm going.
13: It won't do any good, Dad.
12: They can give him a good home, three square meals a day. What was that?
13: I said it won't do any good to call the zoo. Why not? The man said he called the zoo, and they've got a skunk.
12: Well, they're going to have another one. I'm a citizen of Springfield. I pay my taxes it's as much my zoo as anybody else's. If I want to give them a skunk, well, they'd better take it. The man said... Hello, Springfield Zoo. Oh, my name is Anderson, James Anderson, 607 Maple Street. Uh, we have a skunk. What? Oh, you know, Lily. Oh, I was just saying to my wife that I thought it might be a very good idea if... They What? Well, if the other animals won't trust a skunk, why should we? I, I, I know it isn't your problem, but the, look, if you'll only let me explain, I had nothing to do with getting the skunk. It was my son. No, my son. Oh, uh, don't you think that shooting him is a little drastic? What? Well, if I can't think of anything else, I may. Holy cow! Thank you very much. A yeah, great help he turned out to be,
13: Dad. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry I got you mad about the skunk, but gee whiz! What did they
12: say, Jim? They know all about Lily. People have been trying to give him to the zoo for years.
13: Dad, before you do anything permanent, don't you think we ought to talk about it? Bud, oh, what on earth happened to
10: you? You're as white as a sheet.
12: Always worried about that idiotic skunk. The man at the zoo said I ought to take Lily to the pound and have him shot. Lily. Well, who do you think I meant?
13: (laughs) Oh. (laughs) I think I'll go sit down.
10: Jim, you're not going to have that poor little thing shot, are you?
9: Daddy, you can't. Please.
12: Well, what can I do? The zoo won't have him. We can't turn him loose. We don't know anybody silly enough to give him a home. You want to keep him here?
9: Father, I don't like skunks, but you can't have him shot.
12: Well, suppose you tell me. Wait a minute. I've got an idea. Of course.
10: Jim, what are you going to
12: do? There's only one thing we can do we'll have a raffle.
11: The skunk is a creature both calm and urbane, from whom other animals gladly abstain. He may be as fresh as the bright morning dew, and yet who can trust him? I wouldn't. Would you? It's a few days later in Springfield, and breakfast time in the White Frame House on Maple Street. But it isn't just any day, nor yet any breakfast. This is a big day in the life of the Andersons.
12: This is the day of the skunk raffle. Thusly. I don't care what anybody says. Bob Stewart had no right to charge me $7.50 for printing the tickets.
10: Jim, it's for a very worthy cause.
12: A hundred tickets. Why, that's seven and a half cents apiece.
10: The minister said you couldn't have found a better way to dispose of Lily.
12: He must have printed each ticket by hand and sprinkled diamond dust over the ink. Here's your
10: coffee,
6: dear.
12: Oh, thank you. I told him I wanted very plain tickets, the very plainest he had. Why did he have to be so fancy?
10: Because he knows the money's going to the church and he wanted everything to look nice.
12: Seven dollars and fifty cents to get rid of something we didn't even own in the first place. Where's the sugar bowl?
10: Bud took it out to the garage. He forgot to put sugar on Lily's cereal.
12: Oh, that's fine. I'm surprised he didn't sleep out in the garage to keep the silly animal company. Jim. Yes? He did. Bud slept in the garage?
10: Well, he said it was Lily's last night and he didn't want anything to happen to him.
12: What can happen to a skunk that hasn't already happened? Isn't there any more sugar? I'll
10: get some, dear.
12: Tells me a skunk eats practically nothing. This one eats like his father was a tapeworm.
10: Oh, dear. Now
12: what's the matter?
10: I could have sworn we had another bottle of cream.
12: No cream, huh?
10: No, dear, but as soon as Bud comes in... There was
12: cream last night.
10: I know, dear, but I thought we had another bottle. Lily, huh? Yes, dear. Margaret... We have plenty of milk.
12: Well, that's nice. You're sure I'm not disrupting any of your plans? I mean, you wouldn't have a more important use for it. Lily, perhaps?
10: Jim, you know Lily doesn't like milk.
12: Oh, well, then it's all right. (laughs) I certainly wouldn't want to use anything you might need for Lily.
9: Jim. Morning, everybody. Isn't this the most wonderful day you've ever seen? Good morning, Betty. The warm sunshine, the golden leaves. Isn't it good just to be alive? Huh. What?
12: I said, huh.
9: What's the matter with
10: Father? Nothing, dear. Sit down and drink your juice. I'll have your breakfast ready in a minute.
12: Provided Lily hasn't already eaten it.
10: Jim, you're not being fair.
12: I'm not being fair. Half of my breakfast out in the garage with that polecat, and I'm not being fair. Good
9: Morning, Mommy. Morning, Daddy. Good morning, dear. Hmm. Where's Lily?
12: Out in the garage with Clyde Beatty.
9: <laughs> Who?
12: Never mind. Just sit down and eat your breakfast.
9: Drink your jukes, dear. I'll have your cereal ready in a minute. Daddy? Not now, Kathy. But I want to tell him something. Daddy?
12: What is it, Kathleen?
9: I sold a ticket.
12: What's well, fine? A ticket? You had 25 of them.
9: I've still got 24.
12: Oh, that's great. That's just great. The drawing's in less than an hour, and we've still got 24 tickets. Jim, we don't have to sell all the tickets, do we? I told Dr. Swain it'd be $25 for the church. If we don't sell all the tickets, I'll have to give him the money myself.
10: Well, 24 tickets are only $6, dear.
6: Oh, only
12: $6. $7.50 for the printing, $6 for the tickets. That's $13.50 to get rid of that miserable skunk.
9: He isn't miserable, Daddy. He's
13: cute.
12: When your brother comes in here...
13: You want me, Dad?
12: Yes, come in here.
13: What did I do now?
12: But do you realize what that defrosted skunk is costing me? I don't know, Dad. $13.50. It is? Your sister was so positive she could sell 25 tickets. Do you know how many she sold? One. Dad. One measly little ticket for 25 cents, Now I'll have to make good for the rest. Dad. When I was a boy, I never brought a skunk home. I had more consideration for my parents. Dad. I'd have been booted from here down to the city hall if I even mentioned bringing a skunk into the house. Dad. But my children walk into the house with anything they please Skunks, frogs, lizards, and I've got to get rid of them. Do you realize that we're stuck
13: with 24 tickets? Dad. What is it? I didn't sell all mine either. Oh, no. Well, gosh, it isn't easy to sell tickets on a skunk. (laughs) People are prejudiced. How many did you sell? And besides, somebody had to stay here and take care of Lily. How many did you sell? So I got a bunch of fellas to sell them for me. They took the 75 tickets. How
12: many did you sell?
13: Nineteen.
12: Out of 75?
13: Well, the fellas said they tried. Nineteen. We've got 80 tickets left. I'm sorry, dad.
9: Mother, isn't there any
10: cream? Betty, not now.
13: Gosh, it isn't as if we didn't try. Well,
12: I still have some control over my temper. Let me have the $5.
9: Here's my quarter, daddy.
12: Dad, yes. All I've got is a dollar 90. 19 tickets at 25 cents is 4.75, not a dollar 90. That's less commission.
13: <laughs> what commission? Well, I had to give the fellows a commission They sold them for a quarter, but we only got a dime Bud Dad, you don't know how hard it is selling skunk tickets <laughs> They were doing me a favor $30,
12: that's what it comes to, Margaret $30 to get rid of a skunk
13: uh, Have some more coffee, dear? Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe we better just keep it, huh, Dad?
12: We're not going to keep anything And you and I are going to have a long talk someday about what happens to boys who bring skunks into the house.
10: Uh, What are you going to do now, dear?
12: I'm going to see if I can't get rid of some of these tickets. Who ever heard of a raffle with only 20 tickets? Get the house all cluttered up with skunks? Can't sell the tickets? Should have had the darn thing shot in the first place. Oh, Bob Stewart, Uh, this is Jim Anderson. Look, about those tickets, I... Yes, yes, they were very nice, but, uh... We've got quite a few of them left, Bob, and after all, you did make $7.50 on the deal, and the money does go to the church, so I thought if you'd like to take about 25 chances. Hello, Bob? Bob, hello? Fine thing. Just wait until I want some more tickets printed, that's all. It'll be a cold day in July. Did
10: take any, Jim? He hung
12: up on me. That's what he did, the nerve of him. Just hung up.
10: Jim, we've got to leave for the church in a very few minutes.
12: Well, uh, you go ahead with the kids. I'll be along as soon as I get through here.
10: Well, don't be too long,
12: dear. Okay. Hello, Heck? Uh, this is Jim Anderson. Uh, just fine, thanks. Say, Heck. Uh, she's fine, too, thank you. Say, Heck. Yes, they're all fine. Say, Heck. Have you heard about the raffle we're holding? Well, all the money goes to the church, and the tickets are only a quarter apiece. Hmm? Oh, it's uh, for a skunk, Heck, but you ought to see him. Cutest little fella you ever saw in your whole life. What? Hello, Heck. Heck! <laughs> Heck! Fine bunch of friends I have. Hang on to a quarter as though their life depended on it. Smoke fifty-cent cigars, but if you ask him to lay out a dime for something worthwhile, hello, George. Uh, this is Jim Anderson. Say, George, we're having a raffle at the church. Well, we're giving the tickets away, George. Uh, there's no charge at all. That's right. All you have to do is keep what you win.
6: <laughs> what?
12: Well, it's a, it's a pet skunk, George, and so help me, it's a million laughs. Just the happiest little thing you. George. Hello, George. Now you can't even give the things away. What a great raffle this is going to be. Hello, Ed. Uh, this is Jim Anderson. We're having a free raffle at the church, Ed, and I want you to have these free chances to win a free prize. Well, I, I've i seen some cute skunks in my time, Ed, but this one is... Ed. Hello, Ed.
5: Are you sure he said he'd be here, Mrs. Anderson?
10: I'm quite sure, Dr. Swain. I don't know what could have happened to him. Maybe Lily bit him.
5: Lily?
9: The skunk. They don't like one another. Kathy, you know how children exaggerate. Yes. Do you want me to call the house, Mother?
10: Maybe you'd better. And if he hasn't left... Here he comes, Mom. What's he got in the box?
9: Kathy, don't be silly. That's Lily. Oh. Uh,
12: Jim! Oh, I'm sorry I'm late, Dr. Swain, but I... I had a time getting rid of the tickets. Did you sell
13: them all, Dad?
12: Uh, not quite. Oh? But you don't have to worry, Doctor. Here's my check for $25 to uh, cover the whole thing.
13: Oh. Um, uh, how many
12: lucky people are there in the drawing? Twenty.
13: Twenty? But... But those are all the chances... Bud, be quiet.
12: Holy cow. Uh, These are the stubs for the 20 tickets that were sold, Dr. Swain, so... uh, If you want to go ahead... We'll do that
13: this very moment. Uh, Attention, everyone. Attention, please. We're going to have the drawing for the... uh, the little animal so generously donated by our friend, Mr. Anderson. It was my skunk, but please...
3: Uh, Betty, would you like to put the stubs in this bowl?
13: Okay.
9: How's that?
12: Uh, That's fine. Now mix them thoroughly. Uh, There we are. $30 to get rid of a skunk. Jim. Now, Uh, uh, Kathleen, uh, would you draw one of the slips, please? Reach way up. Like that? That's a good girl. May I have it, please? Thank you. Attention, everyone. The winning number is... number
13: 73. Will the lucky person holding number 73 please step forward... Number seventy-three, Doctor Swain. Yes, Kathleen. That's
9: me. Oh no. <laughs>
11: Once again, it's breakfast time in the White Frame House on Maple Street. A skunkless breakfast time, if not exactly a
12: happy one, like this.
9: The only thing I ever won in my whole life, and you wouldn't let me keep it.
12: I couldn't let you keep it, Kathy.
9: You let Jimmy Woody keep it.
12: Jimmy Woody is not my child. How can you have a raffle and let your own daughter win it?
13: I'll see who it is.
9: Kathy, your father
10: knows best and it really wouldn't have looked right.
9: Why not? I paid my quarter. I had as much right as anyone else. But you pulled a number out of the bowl, stupid. What's stupid about pulling my own number?
6: <laughs>
12: <laughs> Kathy, it just isn't done. It isn't? No. And besides, the principal idea was to get rid of Lily. That's why we had to pick another number.
9: Jimmy Woody he only paid half as much for his ticket, and he got to keep the whole skunk.
12: Fine. It couldn't have happened to a nicer boy.
9: He's an only child, and his father lets him have everything. Why couldn't I be an only child?
12: Why couldn't you be a child, period? Yeah.
9: Well. My quarter. If I don't get the skunk, I ought to get my quarter back.
12: No. No.
6: Mommy!
12: Why, Jim... Margaret, she knew we weren't going to keep the skunk. Why did she have to buy a ticket? This will teach her not to throw her money around.
6: I want my quarterback! Oh,
12: Kathy, Uh, stop it. uh, Kathy, I said stop it!
9: Kathleen? Yes, Mommy?
10: (laughs) That will be quite enough.
9: Yes, Mommy? What were you
10: saying, Jim?
13: Uh, nothing. Nothing. Who was it, bud? You mean at the door? Just Jimmy Woody. What did he want? Oh, nothing much. He just wanted to know if we wanted to buy a chance on a skunk raffle. <laughs>
11: Again next week, when we'll be back with Father Knows Best, starring Robert Young as Jim Anderson, with Roy Bargey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, and yours truly, Bill Foreman. So until next Thursday, good night and good luck from the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James. Now stay tuned in for Dragnet, which follows immediately over most of these stations.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be along next week when I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Joel Seanwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend.
0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.